High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome slumberers who take their studies a little bit more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez, as always. And I'm Aislinn Addington, and this is High School Slumber Party AP, a study session in contemporary teen films. And your assignment today was to watch 2020's Enola Holmes. But before we chat all about that film, we have some other homework to discuss. Absolutely. Have you subscribed where you're listening right now? Hope so. Um, you could subscribe, uh, like I always say, in more than one place. Sometimes I do that. I like to listen to podcasts more than once because I'm a nerd. But please subscribe, rate and review if you want to, if you really want that extra, extra credit. Which you do because you're an AP listener. Exactly. Quick question. I know you, you said this on previous podcasts as well. You say you, you subscribe maybe in two different places and two different locations. Do you listen in both locations? With the podcast that I'm talking, that I'm describe that situation i do and it annoys me because i'm a stitcher premium listener because of some short series that were only available that way but i got used to not having commercials so i listen there first and then when i go to apple Podcasts to listen the second time i'm like what are with all these commercials because (laughs) i've forgotten but i also use like that second run is often what i used to go to sleep Oh, oh, that makes sense. That's cool. So it's kind of familiar, you know? It's not the first, because I don't want to fall asleep the first time I'm listening. Of course. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a weirdo that way. Who out there, listeners out there, falls asleep to High School Slumber Party AP? I wonder. <laughs> oh, I wonder too. Please, if that is true for you, let us know. And of course, we're hoping that that is tucked safely in your bed, not like mowing the lawn. Or in the or... Bath, bathtub or something. <laughs> Yeah, don't fall asleep in your bathroom. <laughs> and, and if you do want to let us know, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We were having a uh, Instagram conversation, today. not on Instagram, but about Instagram conversation, you and I today. More of the nuances as you slowly ply at your Instagram Instagram trade, Island. No new Absolutely. photos, right? No new photos. I haven't seen them. Not, not yet. I just leave the people wanting more. Um <laughs> I, (laughs) yes, I was asking about the etiquette around liking things that are poignant or touching or sad, because I want to acknowledge that I'm listening and I care, but I don't like that something sad happened. And I know that that is an old, like a previous Twitter problem that has been, Mm -hmm. or, or previous Facebook problem that has been sort of solved. But yeah, I was just, I was curious because I am so new. So um, other folks want to weigh in on that. 
happy to hear and collect responses as I attempt to navigate the digital world. Well, it's, it's funny because like Facebook is this, and Instagram are the same company. And Facebook's solution was to add more stuff like emojis and different ways you can respond to it. And Instagram's always seems to be like less. So there's just, just like you're hearting something. So like right. you care about this, whatever it is. Well, and when way? it was, because my, my understanding, tell me, please tell me where I'm wrong, is that originally or, or earlier on, it was more photo based. And so oh, I think yeah. that was kind of an easier to like a photo or not but there's so much content with the photo or what is posted is a paragraph of text rather than a photo. And so that's where I feel like the, the culture of the medium has changed, but the options to engage with it haven't yet. I, I don't follow too many people who just do the text thing, but it is, some people are doing that now. They're merging anyway. I think they've been in the same company like 10 years now already, but now they're finally throwing them together i don't know we'll we'll ride the wave together and figure it out somehow absolutely <laughs> oh another th related thing though before we get into enola homes i know you guys out there are excited about it but something i uh sent you a message about as the godfather of the cage club podcast network messaged me about so just spreading the word because we always talk about this netflix just recently has this new top10.netflix.com thing, which I have not had the time to deep dive, but they're starting to show their analytics. Now, I, I've read a couple articles about it, and they're like, oh, this is Netflix just humble bragging. Like, look how many people watched our stuff. But it is... It is insightful. So it's a website that shows the top... Every week, Netflix top 10 and how many people watched. You can't deep dive the data. I can't type a movie in and see how many people watched it. I, you just have to go by week. But it is pretty cool that at least the future movies that we'll be talking about here that are Netflix, we'll see how well they do initially. A big reason why they push this now is because they spent a lot of money on this The Rock movie, Red Notice, which I haven't seen, really pushing it. And it was watched by a lot of people. Uh, let's see. So this week, 148 million hours were spent on Netflix watching that movie. Insane. Wow. As Joey pointed out, and this is by week, the one movie that has even close to that many people watching in the last year is, yeah. the, is the Kissing Booth 3, which is astonishing. It's oh not, no! And I forgot what week it was. Whenever it came out in August, so one of those weeks. But it was yeah. like ninety-nine million hours viewed of the oh. Kissing Booth three. <laughs> That's too many hours, folks. That is too many hours. So I'm I'm really excited about this. I, again, I know it's not perfect. They're not letting us with, all, you know, they're not letting us tackle all their data. But I'm really excited about this because I know there was one week too where. He's All That was the number one movie, and it had a bunch of hours watched. And you know, as I read some of these weeks, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I can't believe this movie was watched that much. What was America doing? I'm not going to name the names of all these movies. But <laughs> I'll just say I am stoked that we have some insight. Because as we talk about it here all the time. We just don't know sometimes how popular things are. Absolutely. I'm excited to, to kind of dig in and, and see, especially as we're going into holiday season and knowing there 
like I feel like all the streaming platforms are, you know, throwing their hat in the holiday ring um, or the wreath. <laughs> and so I think that would be interesting. And then something that you just said um, sort of sparked, I'm also really interested in kind of the commentary around this and perhaps how folks that interact with data in other ways, like how data professionals might give us some thoughts and context for what they're sharing and what they're not sharing. I don't know. I'm just, I'm interested for the discussion. Definitely. I'll say this about the site. It's not the easiest to navigate because again, they're controlling the data they want you to see. Right. So, okay, here it is. Yeah. It's the week of July 19th through July 25th. The most watched movie was something called Troll Hunters Rise of the Titans. I don't know what that is. The second one was the last letter from your lover, but I bring it up because slots three through 10 are all movies we covered on High School Slumber Party because it's Fear Street Part 3, which we covered, Twilight, New Moon, Fear Street Part 1, Fear Street Part 2, Twilight Eclipse, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2, and Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. Let's be clear. Are you saying that you have impacted... Absolutely. The list. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. No, I don't know. I think I think we feed off each other. We'll put it that way. But Absolutely. That must have been a weird week for America. I'll just say that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about this. So we'll probably here on AP be referring back to this list. And we'll definitely check up on some things that get released. And like you said, Island, they're probably going to release some things in, in December. And we'll, we'll, again, keep up with... With our research and our a penis. Whoa, that sounds bad. A penis. <laughs> I never put that together. Our a penis. That sounds. Yep. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna remember that for another time. Um, looking forward to that. Other homework though, Aislinn. Couple a couple episodes ago, I assigned you a movie that we had previously done on High School Slumber Party. Something in the last three years. Words on bathroom walls. Aislinn, did you do your homework? I did do my homework. I will be uh, transparent and say that I multitasked my homework as it was a, a pretty busy household weekend for me. And I guess, uh, what do I want to say? There were aspects that I, I liked. <laughs> I was apprehensive going in, mm-hmm. you know, wondering how, how are they going to portray schizophrenia? I do not have direct experience with that condition. But I'm generally sort of sensitive to how things are, are portrayed. And I, I was curious and I looked up kind of some articles and what was what I thought was it was interesting that I sort of agreed with, again, from a not educated point of view, was that the folks that whose articles I read were less concerned or or, or had more critique about the like high school cliches than the schizophrenia part. Interesting. I read a couple of, I read a couple of kind of personal blogs and then I skimmed a couple of, of more journalistic review articles. And there seemed to be a similar kind of consensus of this is sort of one person with a, you know, kind of one story that includes the, the audio and the visual hallucinations, which is not always mm-hmm. how it presents, but it can present that way. And also the, the being a um, treatment resistant case that that is also, I think sort of more common than people would like certainly, but like more, more common than maybe we generally understand, but it was the 
kind of the silly high school of it all that, that folks had critiques on. So I guess that kind of, in a sense, that made me like it more because I was glad that people weren't upset. And I agree, right? Like that it's about going to the prom or not. And then, you know, sweeping sort of not happy ending, but like, oh, but we love each other so we can make it through anything kind of thing. That's just like, oh gosh, that is a dangerous narrative. So I'm glad I watched it. You know, I, I enjoyed watching the creative ways that they illustrated what the main character, Sam. Well, I haven't seen the movie in a while. I don't remember the name, main character's name. <laughs> what the main character was experiencing. Like that, that was, that was super interesting to me, right? Because it's, that's hard to illustrate what's going on internally. So yeah, I was sort of like, okay, this is interesting. And yet I don't know that I need to see it again. I don't know how much it impacted, you know, stigma, stereotype, that kind of thing. And representation is important. And so, you know, I'm glad it's there. I'm glad I saw it. And I think likely it will kind of leave my head fairly quickly. So when, when we covered the movie here, there wasn't a lot of literature out yet about the movie. So I was really nervous. I don't mind a high school cliche. If I did, I wouldn't be here doing this. You know? Very good point. <laughs> so when I see that, I just want to know, you know, for me, it's like, is it done well? Am I enjoying it? I was more concerned about what you were saying. Like, I didn't want to be like, oh, I think this depiction is interesting and great. And then someone who's actually suffering from schizophrenia or a family member or something was like, no, this is a super dangerous thing. This is not like it at all. Like, that was my biggest fear with the movie. And we still don't know. There there might be some people who do feel that way. Absolutely. And and I think they would be justified, right? But I was was glad to have read a couple of kind of first-person things saying that they were glad that it wasn't just about that, right? That this is a, a young person who had interests and talents and passions and that that was, I don't know if as much a part, but that, like that those things were throughout the movie consistently as well as handling and dealing with and and working through getting a diagnosis, which is is scary. I mean, so that part I feel like is is something hopefully most people can relate to, right? Is the complexity of getting a diagnosis where is there a relief there because there is something, but also there's potentially fear and apprehension around, okay, now what does this mean? Does this change who I am? Kind of all those things. So I think it opens some doors to discussion and also it was just kind of okay. (laughs) I I think that's fine. And I actually like that. It's just kind of okay. Not every movie is going to be like never, rarely, sometimes, always, you know, where it's like, right. oh, thought-provoking. When we asked that question here of like, who is this movie made for? I really think that was a movie made for teens. Mm-hmm. If we're just throwing it kind of in the hodgepodge of whatever teen films, and by the way, I don't mean that as an insult because, again, I do this podcast, <laughs> but I like that it's a little bit different in that sense. What was the one we did the last summer about like, the kids in the summer, right? Yes. I feel like th- that movie is in the same genre as this one, a- as Words on Bathroom Walls. But Words sure. on Bathroom Walls has a unique story, a unique take. And as long as they did that responsibly, which everything we read now or everything you've read seems yeah. like they so, did. So far, seems like on the whole, yes. Yeah. Then I'm cool with it. And I actually had a good watch with it. Because again, I think it is in that more of that place, like the last summer kind of niche. 
Than sure. They, and even the kissing booth, which again, everyone knows I did not enjoy, but like more that niche than the never rarely, sometimes always, holy fuck, let's talk about this and think about this right. kind of thing. I'm happy you did your homework because it was, it helped me as well because I feel a little bit better actually, believe it or not, about that movie because of, because of what you said. So awesome. Nice. Well, I'm excited to go back and listen. I purposefully didn't listen to the episode once it was assigned to me. So now it's like the second, the, um, an amendment to the homework as I get to listen nice. to the discussion. <laughs> I think we were rather bullish too, more because I had my friend Kyle Reinfried, the foodie films man on, and it's a food movie. So we were talking about those aspects a lot too, but I, I think my grades are so inconsistent. I didn't even remember what grade I gave the film like yesterday. You know what I mean? So who knows what grade I gave it? Absolutely. I'm pretty sure at least I was apprehensive. Like it looks cool. If this is like a way for me to understand it, that's great. But if it's wrong, I totally am ready for someone to be like, right. you, you watch trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so once again, glad you uh, glad you watched it. Glad you're catching up. Maybe one day you will have caught up. Because not like I've done contemporary films all the time, you know what I mean? Sure. So it might be a day where, where you outpace your homework. Who knows? <laughs> I love it. One can only dream. <laughs> But let's get into today's film, Enola Holmes. I'm really excited to talk this one. A Netflix film, so easy access for you Netflix subscribers out there. Eisen, will you do the honors and and, uh, reading that good good old famous Netflix description of the film? Would love to. So, Enola Holmes from 2020. While searching for her missing mother, intrepid team Enola Holmes uses her sleuthing skills to outsmart Big Brother Sherlock and help a runaway lord. Short, but not as short as I thought it was going to be, so <laughs> that's good. And like, yeah, that's, yeah, okay, that's part of it. I feel like it's more about if they're the outsmarting. I think that's more Mycroft, but we'll get into it. Had you heard of this one? I had. So this I had actually watched. Nice. I cannot tell you when because <laughs> that true lockdown pandemic stay home stay safe time really became elastic there and so um i cannot tell you when i watched it but once i turned it on again i was like oh yeah i was (laughs) delighted by this film that's why i wanted to talk about it so yeah i really enjoyed it was this part of your epic watching yeah it was part of that whole rewatch and it was definitely a breath of fresh air between some of the uh again the never really sometimes always of the world which are good but also the teen dramas where someone died (laughs) you know i remember watching it from that watch i remember remembering a lot of the film and happy to watch it again happy that we'd both seen it one time over you know we'll probably be better experts than we usually are sometimes to try and uh, discover our own mysteries in these films. Yeah, I, I really can't wait to talk about it. Are you a fan or had you read any Sherlock Holmes in your life? Like, what, what's your Sherlock Holmes knowledge base? I thought you might ask this. <laughs> so um, it is wildly embarrassing, but I will show. I have not read any of the original text. However, I became a fan of one of the interpretations from, you know, er- earlier in the aughts. Uh, so here's what happened. I, <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a, a chronic 
a chronic pain and, and kind of medical situation for which I was prescribed six months of chemically induced menopause in my very, like at 30. Gotcha. Like, not the time when the majority of folks who experience menopause experience it. And as you can imagine, I was apprehensive and all, all the things and all the feelings. And my uh, wonderful brother, Tobin from the contenders podcast texted me like that first weekend saying, okay, how you like, how you feeling? How's this going? And I said, well, the only side effect I have so far is that I can't stop watching elementary. <laughs> and I feel like CBS dramas are a very much an older person thing. Yes. And I tell you, I got that first shot and I just couldn't stop watching it. So I'm a huge Hackers fan. So like Johnny Lee Miller has been a love for a long time. Ooh, but we, lo- we love you, Hackers here in High School Slumber Party. So don't worry. I tell you, um, Johnny and, and Lucy got me through some really difficult months um, because there were other side effects. But the first one was an attraction to CBS dramas, specifically elementary. So while the rest of the world was watching Sherlock and, you know, being enamored with Benedict Cumberbatch, I was, I was enjoying some, some tattooed Sherlock Holmes um, and his, and, and Dr. Watson. So that's my entry point. And I know that it is merely one interpretation of a number of them. So I laughed. I got not, not at your medical news. No, you I should. It's a, it's a ridiculous story. <laughs> but I left because when you said the early aughts and just the way you were setting up the story, there's no way you're like, I got onto, I got into this thing called Sherlock with this guy. You know what I mean? I, I kind of knew elementary was coming. So I was like, oh, this is where it's going to lead. So I was very excited when, when you did actually go there. That is... <laughs> That is awesome that that is your... So just for the record, I am not a Sherlock Holmes reader. I'm obviously familiar with it because I live in the world and it's... Right. You know, I was going to ask if that was if it was a, a love of yours. It's not. That doesn't mean I hate it. I don't know. I, I've, as a child, purchased some Sherlock Holmes books. Never got into them. You know, I've, I've watched interpretations here or there. Didn't really get into either of the TV shows. But I've watched enough to know... The characters and some of the simple mysteries and stuff. I'm not into the lore where I could be like, oh, like I'm sure people who are really into Sherlock Holmes watched even Enola Holmes and saw a lot more Easter eggs than I did. Totally. So, yeah, I'm not there. Maybe we won't catch those. Maybe you'll find some that you learned in elementary. I don't know. But at least it's like a well-known character enough that we can jump into Enola Holmes here, I think, and not be completely like, who is this guy? Totally. (laughs) Knowing that there is a lot of lore and that there are multiple interpretations and and all those kind of things, I really liked this entry point and the ways in which it sort of turned what we know about Sherlock Holmes or what we know about the Holmeses a little bit on its ear, you know, kind of particularly calling out Sherlock on like, yes, you are good at these things, but you're not paying attention to any of this shit. And I, I, it's not comeuppance, but I liked that reframe a lot. And of, of course, I liked it because it was also more feminism and social justice oriented. So I, the framing of it delighted me. And then like the, the mystery and the game 
of the film itself, I thought was pretty successful. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, but speaking of comeuppance, because actually, forgot who asked me, but someone asked me about your, I guess, interpretation of the old comeuppance. They said something along the lines of, oh, because in um, every everybody's talking about Jamie, there was a lot of comeuppance you didn't like there. So what is your ideal, I guess, what is the sure. ideal comeuppance and what goes too far for you? That's a great question. I think um, the first thing that came to my mind was an issue of it being earned, which is, of course, super subjective. I think things like integrity and perspective and willingness to learn are important to me. Hmm. And so, you know, comeuppance for comeuppance sake is less gratifying where you know this puts us like squarely in the middle so if now's not the time that's fine but when um Sherlock in looking for Enola when she's absconded from their um you know estate and has that conversation with Edith who who has a relationship with the the lady Holmeses um like that that scene that was really just like yeah, bro, I know who you are. And of course, of course you don't care about the big picture of the world because the world suits you. I felt like that that was a really, and maybe it was in part how it was acted on both parts. I thought the actress who played Edith, um, Susan Wacoma, I, I thought she was so effective and in the couple of scenes she was in. And maybe, maybe Henry Cavill played it really well because it, it it felt like it it sank in to some extent to someone who is, I don't know, so myopic and has been so praised for it to be like, I don't know. He's not used to people being so critical, I don't think. And he's, he's used to people being astounded by his gifts. And she knows the other members of his family who are equally gifted. And so I think those those are aspects that that helped it, I think, land well for me. But I will continue to think about my comeuppance criteria because <laughs> it's 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 right, and I'm not always you know I don't um don't always think through everything before I make grand grand statements, which I think is part of my charm. <laughs> Maybe we need to come up with the Iceland comeuppance award at the end of yes. We should write that down. Another Iceland trope that we see here, especially you know, listener the contenders might get this, but. The little sister trope. I love a little sister. And what <laughs> a, I, I think, um, you know, the Netflix very short synopsis used the word intrepid, which I like. I, I feel like that's an underused good word. So for me, I was delighted by the character as a precocious little sister. And having been a Stranger Things fan, also, you know, with, with hmm, something like that that became so, sort of, I don't know, would you say iconic? I mean, it was certainly like, definitely it became a cultural phenomenon. It can be so hard when we meet an actor that way to see them in something else. So I was also like, as I started watching it, I remember the first time I was a little, not nervous, but I was like really rooting for it. I was like, I hope this is good because I want, I want this actor to be able to, you know, branch out in whatever ways that they want to. And so I was sort of rooting for the character and rooting for the actor at the same time. Absolutely. 
that was actually the next question I had written down that I want to ask you. Like, what was your uh, familiarity with Stranger Things and Millie Bobby Brown? Yeah, how about you? S- same. You know, I got into Stranger Things a little later than other people, but um, I-, I binged that and loved her. And she is such a freaking legend um, <laughs> already, which is insane. And I don't, you know, use that lightly. She's a producer on this film. And it wasn't... That's kind of awesome. I like that It's incredibly awesome. And I... Call me an asshole for this. I assumed it was just... She has a great agent who is like, you want Millie Bobby Brown? Put her name on it. And and because because sometimes that's how it starts, right? That's fine, of course. And that's a good agent who gets you to do that. Amen. But in researching this film, to find out that she's the one who really pushed to get it made... Um, her and her sister were big fans of the book. So this is adapted from the Enola Holmes Mysteries by Nancy Springer, a series of YA novels. Remember that for later. Um, and she basically was like, I want to make this movie and I want to be in this movie at like 15, 16 years old. She got signed onto Godzilla, King of Monsters. Okay. That was produced by Legendary, Legendary Entertainment. And she basically talked to them and said, hey, this is a project I want to do. Do you think we can get it done? And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Not only that, though, she was paid $6 million to do this. Something that was her idea. (laughs) What an intrepid young woman. We're going to use the word again. She mirrors almost this character. The fact that she is 17 right now. When this movie came out, she was 16. And she is making these huge-ass Hollywood moves and getting paid $6 million to do a project that she wants to do. I'm like, oh my god, my hero. Jesus Christ. Standing ovation. <laughs> that is awesome. I I did not know those things, and I now love it even more. Good good for her. That's awesome. Awesome. I Like, there's no other way to describe that. So, Millie Bobby Brown, we salute you. We I, salute you. One of the youngest producers ever for on a film like this. And, again, learning that it just wasn't, like, a token thing is just right. amazing to me. So, I, I have a question. Timing-wise, it feels like this was one that would have originally been been set to be released theatrically, but then pivoted. Is that is that true? You are absolutely correct. It was supposed to be released theatrically. It wasn't originally a Netflix property. But of course, Netflix and Millie Bobby Brown. They go way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah they go way back. <laughs> Percentage-wise in her life. When they picked up this film, they were in serious negotiations with her. Not just for more Stranger Things, but she now has a development deal with Netflix for a couple of projects. I'm sure producing them as well Because after this film. So. And we've talked about that on this show and that have we've seen young Netflix actors repeat and we've Mm -hmm. hypothesized that they might have some sort of development deal. She actually has one. So we'll be seeing a lot more of her. But you're right. This was supposed to be released. Uh, Warner picked it up. Uh, I think they work with Legendary. Uh, Might be a subsidiary. I'm not sure. COVID happens, as we all know. Yeah. And got moved to Netflix. Netflix partnered with it and was released there. And I think a lot of people saw it the same way you and I really saw it was just on those days that I can't in even the malaise. Yeah, I can't even recall. I was thinking about this either. Like, what did I do some of those days? I don't even remember. I don't I don't either. Um a good friend of mine and I who've been in contact, you know, throughout the pandemic have recorded like our experiences because we've talked about it so much. And she has a young son. And so we're like, we should 
we should talk about this like and record it mm. because so much of that so much of the detail is is leaving so quickly right in in my need to to have different routine and be back in the world and all that i'm i'm losing that time the, those sort of memories and yeah so we, we were uh, made an effort to have a conversation about the various kind of stages of it in our experience so that we would have it for later so i don't know that sounds interesting to other people feel welcome to take that idea and record a conversation about your COVID experience i mean really you have <laughs> you have hours and hours right i wasn't even thinking about that i yeah i could literally listen to episodes oh I, I did a lot of that i sometimes i would record four episodes a day oh my gosh well that's where the time went you were on my cheerleading series so yeah that happened true. then i'm like oh yeah my wife being a healthcare worker going in every day scary and i'm just at home, I was drinking a lot. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I just, know, I just know I was doing that, watching a lot of stuff. Um, I planned my outfits for like three weeks. I guess I was bored, but I really wanted to take showers and put on oh, clo yeah. clothes and, and make have, that routine happen. Yeah, some semblance of routine, and I don't know. But yeah, this was somehow a part of it, and I think a part of it for a lot of people. We don't have the data, sorry. <laughs> but I, I suggest you do what we did. Well, I hope you did because it was your homework. But if you saw it once before, watch it again in the watch in, it again. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the now I times. Think, so this might be I might be wrong, as always. I think this maybe benefited. I don't know that this would have been a theatrical success. I don't know. I don't I mean, know either. Yeah, I, you know Henry Cavill and, and Sam Claflin are are hunks, right? They're people that will go to the movies for them. Also, Helena Bonham Carter, though she's not in it a ton, like again, always I will I will go to see her in something. And I think it fits really well and kind of stands out for the quality and for the storytelling and like the adventure aspect of it. I don't know. I, I feel like it stood out on Netflix in a way that potentially in a in a theatrical multiplex, it wouldn't have stood out in the same way. But that's just me. Who knows? But I'll tell you this. Well, maybe for the show, but theoretically, if I didn't have this show, there's no way I probably saw this in the theater, right? Yeah. But the accessibility on Netflix. Exactly. Yes. It, it, it screams renter. <laughs> but I mean, awesome. That, I mean, not awesome that we had a pandemic, you know, but awesome that if people accessed it that way, great. Yeah. Quickly, a couple more production things that I really wanted to share with you. So, some negative and some positive. The negative was that this was also mired in a big lawsuit by the uh, Arthur Conan Doyle estate, obviously. <laughs> I'm sure. Sir Arthur <laughs> took Conan some liberties, didn't they? <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's family now, I guess, was not happy, specifically with the portrayal of Sherlock Holmes. That's what they were suing for. They said, yes, Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain, but not everything is in the public domain was there. Like, their argument was... You can use Sherlock now, but you have to depict Sherlock the way Sherlock is supposed to be depicted. And they said he had too many emotions in this film. I'm like, whoa, that's that's a hill to die on. Hey, instead of, hey, get some young people to start reading those old books. It was like, no, you're depicting Sherlock in a way we don't enjoy. It's like, come on. Yeah, that's, I mean, speaking of, you know, people making the most of their opportunity. <laughs> I hope that the whoever's in charge of the complaints department at the at the Arthur Conan Doyle estate finds some other things to uh, focus on. I thought it was going to be like, I mean, because because Minecraft really is the 
not, I mean, it's not the bad guy, but like, I don't know. He's, I thought that would be something or the way that I don't know if the, the mother character features in the original text. I thought it was going to be that they sort of went too far with these other family members, but it's just about, it's just about Sherlock, which also is like, that's not what this movie is about. Like, (laughs) right. I mean, I would go back to that scene that I described already. Like they also have missed the point. (laughs) Well, well, uh, luckily in this one case in particular, the justice system in the United States, justice was served properly because the judge just dismissed the case and they said, it's in the public domain. You have no right to, you know, legislate yourself how this character should be. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. No, exactly. So luckily that didn't stop the movie. One thing I did want to share with you though is that, and I don't know how they did this because it was during the pandemic, but Netflix had a really cool and interesting campaign in uh, London and in England for the film. They looked for a bunch of statues of famous men throughout history, Mm -hmm. found their sisters who were equally as qualified and put statues next to those statues that looked like, what's that like Wall Street girl in front of the, I mean, I've seen it a million times. I don't know. Like they had it in front of the charging bull for a while. Like, I forgot the name of the artist on that, but like, yeah. So they had a bunch of those and it was actually really cool. Um, I got a list. Really cool. Frances Dickens, the sister of Charles Dickens, Mary Hardy, the sister of poet Thomas Hardy, uh, Princess Helena Victoria, sister of King Edward the Seventh, Maria Anna Mozart, sister of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, obviously, and I think some others. And if you look at the statues, if you look it up, it's the women, but like their dresses will have like what they were actually famous for themselves and and their accomplishment. They didn't take like random sisters. They were like, this was actually an important person. Well, yeah. And to, to remind us that it's not his (laughs) history is like all humans is, is like not impartial. That's not how it works. And so you have to understand the context of the time to understand who, like who will be raised up or who will be remembered I, that is awesome. I'm going to look that up later. I think that is one of the coolest things I've heard in a while. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Thought you'd enjoy that one. I love it. <laughs> and then you've already mentioned a bunch of these names in the cast, and we've already talked Millie Bolly Brown. But again, Henry Cavill, Sherlock Holmes, what a get. Absolutely. Superman, a bunch of other stuff. And then Sam Clavin as Mycroft. My, my I laugh because... There's a lot of criticisms of this film that are about his character, but not necessarily his character. But a lot of people were like, why did they pick such a hot guy for such a nasty role? Which is funny. Right, because hot people can't be terrible. Oh, wait, (laughs) they're all terrible. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But I I thought that was funny. I was impressed that that he did it, you know, I mean, as a, as a young, hot guy who does, you know, can do young, hot roles, like, yeah, put on the funny mustache and be the curmudgeon of the piece. Like that's, I don't know, that, that kind of makes me like him. Yeah. And it wasn't a role too. He wasn't just like eye candy. He was the opposite. Funny mustache, but also he had a lot of lines where he was an asshole. And I I think that's so cool. So good for him. And you mentioned Helena Bonham Carter as well. 
thought she was great. She was so excited to take this role. She, oh, she, she had a quote that said, this is the smallest, greatest part I've ever been offered. Her agent actually told her not to take it because the role wasn't big enough for her. But she's like, no, I really like this movie and I want to do it. I think that's awesome. Perfect in it. There was times I'm like, is she old enough to be like Henry Cavill's mom? Yeah. But, but she is. I mean, not again, we're not ageist here. I don't really care. But he's 38. She's 55. And you might be like, she would have been young, but like in Victorian times. Totally. So great. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I And I, you I, would I have care. to have someone who could play or could, who could be believable as the parents of both of these. Exactly. Sort of sets of siblings. And she's so interesting in that I feel like she's timeless. And yes. yet also, all, to me, always in period piece of some kind, <laughs> with even like on a red carpet. <laughs> and right. so to me, it, it really worked well with you because so part or a significant amount of her screen time is flashback in one way or another. So I think she is right for it in that way that she is a little bit timeless, a little bit ageless. So it's just more malleable to tell this story. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, timeless is a great word for her. She definitely is. And and not in that, like, I don't know. There's, like, I think there's a connotation with timeless, but it's not so much that, like, she always had the same vibe like mm-hmm. that. And like you said, even on a red carpet in real life, so. Like, she's so convincing as a badass in any era and a disruptor in any era. So For, it, for sure. I'm so glad that she felt that to whatever extent with the role, because I I definitely saw them as like, oh, this is a natural fit. In fact, if you told me she was a producer, I would have believed you. Yeah, that's a good call. Two or three other people I just want to mention quickly. Not really a known name, but Tweaksbury was played by Louis Partridge. What do you think of uh, his performance and just the uh, Marquez, Marquez, I don't know. The the Tweaksbury. It's not Marquis, though. Like, that's how we would pronounce it. Oh, Marquis? But they, I don't know. They had a weird pronunciation. Did they say weird? Okay. I don't know British royalty pronunciations. I apologize, but <laughs> Tewksbury. Lord Tewksbury, yeah. yeah. Tewksbury, sorry. Whatever. <laughs> what was your uh, take on that character? I mean, clearly, like a literal vehicle to get Enola from one place to another in a couple of um, places. I think he did a good job of. I feel like his portrayal was paced in a nice way, where at the beginning we're kind of on Enola's side that he's a little bit of a useless, (laughs) useless young man. But then he's also has the opportunity to demonstrate kind of his skill and ingenuity. And that that helps them both see like how, okay, sometimes teamwork is, is the way to go. And then it sets up that pattern of Enola as, you know, a a detective and a finder of lost souls, right? Because you have like the story of the lamb or the sheep Mm -hmm. and then him. So it's, I think very clearly like the first book in a series. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought he would, he was fine and served his purpose. I don't know. For instance, when I thought about the movie, when I was going to watch it again, I did not remember him. I remembered her. I remembered the explosives and the fireworks. I remembered the jujitsu. I remembered the suit of armor but it was a long time till I remembered that this that part of the plot. So I think it was useful for getting our heroine where she needed to be. And beyond that, it was fine. Did you have a different interpretation or a different reaction to him? Maybe a little. 
there's two things that I re- that really stuck out to me about this character that are a little bit conflicting. I think I definitely think there was like some element of that dreaded gender swap here. Oh, okay. Where I think he's kind of a if this was in the '90s and there was plenty of films about rambunctious young boys, right? Right. And there was these girl characters who kind of were a little blah. You didn't really remember them in the movie, but they were just had to serve there as a pretty love interest. And they were into more dainty things where the guy was into like creepy bugs and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Plenty of movies I felt like growing up in the 90s were like that. I'm not always 100% a fan of let's just reverse things. Because like the, I'd rather like a more fleshed out character. However, sure. I do like seeing depictions of young men that say you can be a little bit more sensitive at times. He didn't seem too perturbed that she was rescuing him all the time. There was like playful banter with it, but he wasn't like angry about it. And sometimes we get that in movies too, like one-upsmanship between the guy and the girl. That's what it has to be because like he can't let his guard down. I like that he was into botany and stuff and he was like a young progressive leader. And so there are a lot of pluses I enjoyed about his character and also, you know, maybe it's, if this is supposed to be serialized, maybe it's fine. He's like a Bond girl, essentially. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, when you bring up the the botany and the things, that, that's a good reminder of the, that larger backdrop, which is, right, the traditionalists versus the reform movement. And that that has to do with a lot of things, but certainly, like, gender and, and equal rights is part of it. And so I agree with you that it's nice that this, you know, featured young man character is demonstrating, and I'm giving him a lot of credit here, but that, you know, feminism is about, from my perspective, about making sure that everyone like has all their rights, but is also able to pursue whatever it is that they, that they want to, or they're talented and or feel strongly about or what have you. It's, it's not just, I mean, working in a women's center on a college campus, inevitably every year, multiple times, someone would come in and be like, where's the men's center? Why is it a women's center? Oh well, God, aren't God. we past this blah, blah, blah. And, and, I, and I have a short snarky answer and I have a long complex answer. And the short complex answer is that, you know, we, we sometimes name the movement for the group that we're trying to kind of bring, bring into the mainstream or bring Kind of to that level of of equality, which is ridiculous because there's no levels of equality, but you know what I'm trying to say. And so, right, that's why sometimes it's still important to have a women's center somewhere. But the larger point is so that everyone is free, right? Gender constructs and binaries and things constrict everyone. And so him being a reformer is partly like political, but it's also just partly about that full expression of emotion and interest and passions and all that kind of stuff. So now that hearing your perspective, I do like the character a little bit better. There you go. There you go. (laughs) The two other actors I wanted to mention is uh, Bern Gorman, who he's in a ton of stuff like uh, Dark Knight Rises, I think. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he has, yes, he has frightened me in a number of films. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, Turn, I think he was in, yeah, Man of the High Castle. Just a ton of stuff. He just has such a distinct look. So, cool seeing him here. And then this 
person, Adil Akhtar, who played that Scotland Yard detective guy. My understanding is that's a character in Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yes. Like that's a an ongoing, I'm not sure, partnership or conflicting relationship or both. But like he's from the property, right? Yes. He's like that. I mean, I think it's a character that we might see as stereotypical now. But I think I actually think a lot of it, a lot of like modern police things or detective things have taken from Sherlock Holmes. 100%. He's that like stock. I work for the system. You're the private eye. We help each other out sometimes. But sometimes I steal from you. Sometimes I get in your way. Character. In right. Sherlock Holmes. What's it, uh, Lestrade. Inspector Lestrade is his name. But we just saw him in, it's like double British but movies back to back for us, at least recording. We just saw him and everybody's talking about Jamie. He's the principal in that. Yes. Or the headmaster. Yeah. And I was it like, was, oh. It was bothering me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I was like, that's that's interesting. What a coincidence. That's, yeah, that is a strange coincidence for us. And then the uh, the last person I'll, I'll mention is uh, Susie Wakoma, who played uh, the character Edith. of Edith. That's not who I thought you were going to say. Oh, did I miss someone? Um, Fiona Shaw. Oh, oh, yes, of course. But let's, I mean, let's talk about Susan first. I, I wasn't trying to not talk about her, but. Um... <laughs> yeah, she's great. But I don't know if you saw the bit like, this is a real person that she was playing. Edith? Yeah, Edith Garud. Shame on me. I'm the asshole here again. I was like, was jujitsu a thing at this point? And was it a thing in England? I was Great like, question. oh, this is just a modern thing they've added here. I think it's cool. I don't really right. care. People should defend themselves. But no, Edith Garud was an actual woman who taught uh, women suffragettes and women's uh, suffrage people at the time jujitsu and martial arts to protect themselves she had her own london dojo and it's a fascinating interesting character who died at 99 mind you she died in 1971 which is like i'm like this is a person i've never heard of and i think is super super awesome and i want to know more about so thought that was super cool speaking of statues no that is awesome i also had that question of like what is being re- retooled so that we can have these kind of intense physical scenes with a 16 year old girl which is i don't know unsettling to watch to watch like a a grown adult and a teen engage in that kind of hand-to-hand combat is difficult to watch and so yeah i also thought it was just a mechanism for the plot but that is so cool that that is historically correct I thought that was so awesome. And the little uh, fun little bit of trivia, there was a 2015 British film called Suffragette. Yeah. And Helena Bonham Carter played that character in Suffragette. Oh, fun. Very fun. Cool ladies doing cool things. Yes. (laughs) I did miss someone from the cast who you brought up, Fiona Shaw, so. Yeah. Thinking of the quintessentially British, I mean, kind of like Helena Bonham Carter, but to see, you know, this is a... I think a a well a well established British character actress thought she was great, and as much as you know she is in all his way and and represents that more traditional um the traditionalist perspective, I just thought she did a, a fantastic job and and was fun kind of fun to watch and fun to watch her lose or you know what i mean like it was it was quite satisfying right as a what am I say? Like a foil to Enola? Like, 
yeah, I just thought she did a great job. Yeah, she's great. I think she's Irish. Yeah, Irish. So she's in Harry Potter, and I think she was in mm-hmm. Fleabag. Uh, she's super great. What, now that you mentioned like the th- people we see in a lot of British stuff, yeah, there was a couple other familiar faces that I'm sure if I clicked the IMDb's and really did a deep dive, like, oh, I've seen that person here, I've seen that person there. But overall, I think the point we're getting as we're deep into the episode already, great cast for this film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's talk some favorite scenes, moments, overall how, the look of the film, how we're worked into this we get a lot of uh anola talking to the camera too what what are some of your favorite parts Island? i i will say that the straight to camera w- was not my favorite i i get it it's one of those things when translating a book into a movie and i i think it was fine it's just not my favorite mechanism but i i really liked the way i think because as we get down to the questions i'll say i I think this this movie is enjoyable for all for lots of folks, but I think thinking of it as something that young younger people would want to watch, I liked the way the effect of the tiles to help to help with all the word game stuff. Ooh, yeah. They, it was a little bit hand-holding, but not in a way that I felt patronized me. <laughs> right? It was we're assuming I felt I felt like they assumed that I would figure some stuff out, but they were also demonstrating how her mind worked and how her her mother was so kind of cleverly training her for all these things without her realizing. So that along with that, I would say the the effects of the tiles. And then I, I was really taken with the recurring um, like we see this outdoor jujitsu practice session between Enola and her mother that's kind of I felt like intercut with with um it was a flashback that recurred and we sort of saw different moments of it as the story continued and I thought the performances that they both gave and the way that that was cut back and forth I thought it it shared so much about the relationship without telling us in all the words. Yeah, it's it's also because it's a Holmes property, or not property as we've learned, but it's a, just because it's in the Holmes world. We mentioned a lot the kind of brother-sister elements here, but there is, this is really also a mother-daughter film here, which, again, it's really depicted in those scenes. Helen Bonham Carter, once again, like, like we said, you could tell her passion for that. And even though it's these scenes are brief, we really do see their relationship and it almost she leaves her daughter for a bigger cause but we almost see how that would make sense for that character too and she's like essentially training her to be on her own at some point i do want to go back though to something you mentioned because it kind of clicked with me the talking to the camera the, the fourth wall stuff right the director here harry bradbeer is really i think he really came on people's radar for doing the that show Fleabag, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's show. Which I love. The fourth wall is heavily utilized there as well. I didn't put that together, so thank you for that. I didn't either until you mentioned it. So uh, I mean, part of it is that that was a one-woman show, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so maybe there is some parallel between a one-woman show and a fiction book where the audience is in the you know, the perspective of the protagonist. That's sort of a parallel kind of narrative form. 
but so he's he's used to that he's he's worked in that before that's interesting you know you might be right like i don't know if it's always as effective here as it is in that show i wonder if he brought that to the table at all or like i i kind of see the connection the again the family relationships at the heart of this her and her mother but almost equally the boys and their mother the fact that they are in london now they haven't visited you know they're just doing their own thing so what's the older brother's name again it keeps slipping minecraft yeah minecraft is classic asshole you know (laughs) so kid is stuck in his ways even though sherlock is clearly famous at this point in the story he hasn't found watson yet for whatever reason but clearly famous watson had the week off (laughs) i guess But it was weird because he had a line like, oh, Sherlock usually works alone. And I was like, oh, okay. mm-hmm. that's weird. But the brother, Minecraft, he almost seems like he doesn't even respect Sherlock that much. He, he does, but he definitely looks down on him. He definitely sees himself as like the better, more successful brother. I, I just love this almost hidden dynamic between all the siblings. Some of it you see obviously up front with especially the way Minecraft treats his younger sister. Uh, they, they do that scene where she meets them at the rail uh, station and you yeah. think it's going to be like oh my goodness Anola you've grown I didn't recognize right. you but instead it's just that like you look dirty you need to be fixed kind of right. thing right we we called for a carriage we didn't call for you <laughs> Mr. Holmes and um Mr. Holmes yes you sent for me you sent a telegram asking me to meet you here And the fifth thing you need to know is that they haven't seen me in quite some time. Enola. My God. Look at you. You're in such a mess. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. She has no gloves. Plainly not my gloves. Tough stuff, but... I don't know, like, overall, I love the adventure. I love how this movie's rolling along. It's two hours, but I feel like it's a fast two hours because of how we're moving. But at its heart, I really love these elements of family, especially family you haven't seen. I'm somebody who, my father's remarried, and I have two younger brothers who are, like, three years old. You know what I mean? And I have no like relationship like that with i mean i'll see him from time to time i'm not it's not that i don't visit home or anything like that uh, i don't want to paint myself as a minecraft here but <laughs> but i i saw almost those sherlock dynamics with her where he clearly cared about her he clearly could relate to her but he from his perspective he was also discovering this interesting young person that happened to be related to him right and you know, I, I thought that was super cool too. And while she definitely looks up to him, her character isn't like she's not taught by him, for example. Like, you know, she's not his right. assistant, you know what I mean? I love that. I was before I watched it, I was nervous that it was gonna be let me take you under my wing and teach you, which is fine, but would be a different thing. But that she got it all from her mother, I think m- makes them more of like hey, we are similar. We ha- we come from the same family, like you're saying. We have the same mother. Perhaps it's the mother that 
inspired some of that in Sherlock as well. And so it's more of discovering what you have in common versus a teacher student kind of thing. And there is a little bit of that. I mean, they're in the office and, and, and talking about, have you, you know, have you figured it out and this and that, but, but I, I loved that it, it sort of traced back to, to the mom versus like Sherlock just being kick-ass, you know, which is what we see when Sherlock is the main character. Cause you know, yeah, he is, but, but yeah, having the siblings in different generations is you, I, I assume I don't, I don't, I mean, Tobin and I are five years apart, but like, I assume you would have to re get to know them from time to time. Right. Because like Sherlock was, I guess maybe a teen when she was born, but like, he's sort of always an adult. And then finally, like they're on the same They're Then they're both adults. I don't know. Yeah, no. And I, I, I liked that because to me it was realistic because also he also wasn't like, Oh my God to her. He was still like kind of an asshole in a sense where I know we're bouncing around, but when at the end when he thinks he's finally solved the mystery and, and he's cocky about it too, because to be fair, he wasn't a hundred percent pursuing it, but he's like, blah, 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 you know, typical Sherlock Holmes stuff. And it's right. like, oh, you know, like, dude, your sister solved that like, you know, a, a, a day ago. Lestrade. Ah. Sherlock Holmes. The press. The Marquis case. You need to arrest his grandmother, the Dowager. She's trying to kill him as she killed his father. Two questions. How did you arrive at that conclusion? It's a question of divided loyalty and succession. With the boy dead, the uncle would take the vacant seat in the Lords and stand against the reform bill and the extension of the vote, just as the Dowager wanted. The boy I deduce would not, nor would his father have. So why would it not be the uncle himself that did the deed? To the father or the son. His father? His uniform. In the press photographs. Oh. The medals on his chest. He wasn't in the country when the boy's father was killed. Rather serving in the Afghan war. <laughs> it's always there, the truth. Yeah. You just need to look for it. Second question. How did your sister get there before you? I'm sorry? I just, yeah, I just think there's so, there's so much of this delighted me, the choices that were made. It makes me kind of want to read the book. It would be interesting to see what what existed there and kind of what they brought to it. Yeah, I, 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 uh, we're, we're singing a lot of the praises of this film, uh, that's oh, like for it. sure. Other scenes that stuck out to me or just feelings I had? Yeah. I, I love a good train chase, you know? <laughs> so. Nice. Glad we got to have one here. Beautiful shots of the English countryside in this movie. And, and I, I think it just overall a pretty looking movie. Gorgeous. I liked, again, how I know this is based off. There's one of the books named after the the dude. It's like the, the case of whatever, like finding the kid, uh, Tweedenbury or whatever, like something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Tewsbury? Tewsbury. <laughs> but... It and I could be wrong. It felt like though they had a couple different adventures mixed into this one. Yeah. Um, it's almost, there's almost vignettes in a sense because there's just like her living in London and experiencing that for the first time. All the puzzles, like you say, but even when she's captured and they're at the finishing school and 
we see her with all the other young women and they're doing their thing and she's just not fitting in, which is exactly <laughs> how we imagined she would. That escape was fun too in the uh, in the basket. Right. And, when the, and I feel like that's when, you know, Tewksbury sort of shows that he's more than just useless. Yeah. Right. And because that took, he had to plan that, right. And took gumption to do it and all that. Like, I am utterly charmed by this film. <laughs> Charming is a good word for it. I, I like that. So, spoiler alert, guys. There is a sequel to this, or there will be a sequel. They're filming it right now. Fun. So we'll see how that goes. Is she still teenage aged? And I mentioned the finishing stool, too, because rare we see that kind of high school and high school slumber party. Excellent point. <laughs> Uh, yes there was school here yep but i like how the mystery of what the mother was up to it was briefly solved at the end but it's not like it was concluded like were they gonna bomb something you know like right yeah so i'm i was a little that bummed that if eudora had trained enola in all these ways why then couldn't they work together you know, why couldn't at the end they join forces? And other than I, I, I understand the closing kind of monologue was all Holmeses have to, you know, strike their own path and blah, blah, blah. And I, I get that. But like a lot of the paths have overlaps and are similar somehow in nature. And so I don't know. I, I thought there was an opportunity there for it to be like Enola succeeded in figuring out how to find how to get a hold of her mother and like figure the things out that would signal to her that 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 Enola is ready to join whatever it is that she's up to so I don't know I just I felt a little bit like oh now you're just leaving again and it's okay <laughs> like what because okay adult but 16 especially back then sure I saw her as leaving her as yes you know strike out on your own kind of thing but more practical she's engaging in quite literal terrorist activity at yeah. the time yeah domestic terrorism yeah. <laughs> and i was just imagining that she wanted to create some distance with her daughter that if they already theoretically got arrested this is the victorian times like they would even someone within a state like that they might throw in some kind of prison or some sure. sort you know, and prison in Victor prison now. I'm not saying it's a great place, obviously, right. but, but prison in Victorian times for children probably not a good place either. Or just that it's dangerous, and you know, for and sure. she doesn't want that for her daughter right then. Like I, I can see practical reasons for it. I just also thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to have a mother daughter adventure? Yeah, I mean, and maybe that's a different maybe that's a different story in the series, but. We'll see. Perhaps it is. I mean, that would be very fun, too. Also, though, on the same token, and I think we touched on this a little bit, I'm also glad that it wasn't like Sherlock at the end. Now you're ready to join my detective right. agency, you know? Agreed. She kept her independence. And, that, and I think that was important to her mother and important to her. So you have, she doesn't go along with the mother. She doesn't uh, go along with Sherlock. And she has the opportunity to, to join this dude's family right they invite him to stay they invite her to stay at his house and right. live there and enjoy rich stuff i suppose and she's like no i'm good i'm gonna you know i'm gonna still go my own path so i'm with it I, i'm cool with with i mean i do have to just I, there's a little little um annoying aunt in my head that's like okay 
strike out on your own path, but with all the inherited wealth that you have, well, I'm yeah. just saying, just saying, but it is, still, it's not Oliver Twist, you know, this is uh, still, she's still a rich l- yeah. young just, lady. Just, just so that it's said out loud. With a famous brother. I do right. like, I have to say, I do really like how uh, the mother hoarded all this money from her son. That was amazing. <laughs> for years. That was I meant to say that was one of my favorite moments was when that all kind of unfolded of like, but I've sent, right? Because he thought that she was keeping this house, which from my interpretation of Mycroft is is more about like status and perceived, like perceived wealth mm-hmm. and like the look of it. Like he would be embarrassed for the neighbors to see what their house looks like kind of thing. You know, it's not even about... Enola's well-being it's about this status that they have or that he you know he he's so that that is a value for him that is not shared by the other members of the family but that because that was the button she could push that's what she used to get this money so that you know they could continue with their plans I I yeah that was delightful yeah and you bring up a good point the way he feels about the house is quite literally how he feels about Anola. She's not really a person to him. She's just another thing that happens to be attached to him that needs to be upkept right. to keep his own image. A responsibility, yeah. And also, like, if he cared that much, then he should have come back. Like, you know, the opening tells us that they left after their father died. And I don't know how, how I, it was said in the same sentence. I don't know how connected it is, but if they couldn't hang and and had to leave you know kind of for their own well-being okay but they left both the mom and their sister behind like that's shitty it's shitty because if you if you think about it too the father dies minecraft gets the wealth i'm sure sherlock got some of it and it was just like oh taking off having my own life now you know fuck you guys essentially right yeah you stay here out of sight and educate the child yeah but but i need you to upkeep things for my own sake it's it, it's right. ridiculous and that's why so sad so i didn't really catch that on the first watch but on this watch i was like oh that's awesome <laughs> all right should we do awards yeah i think we've talked about everything i wanted to say about the film so Let's do it. I think it's my turn to read. It is. I thought it was mine when I said that so confidently, but you're right. It's <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, oh, oh, there is one more thing I did want to mention because I wrote this yeah. at the bottom of my notes. This was wildly successful on Netflix in terms Good. of actual numbers. 78 million people viewed this film, so warranted a sequel, and that's good. I'm glad it was. A successful producerial endeavor <laughs> for uh, uh millie bobby brown that's awesome glad glad to hear it so Eisen, who was this movie made for in your mind i think it was made for humans who were i don't want to say stuck but who were doing their part by staying home and being responsible during the pandemic certainly because of the source material which Yes, is YA. Of course, it is for teens and young people. And I think that it has enough going on that it is. it could be for anyone who would be interested in either a, a homes-related adventure or um, a 
you know, suffrage revolutionary kind of idea or, or just a, a good fun mystery adventure. Like there are just, there are so many entry points. I feel this movie is for everyone. Yeah, and any any movie for everyone, its core has to probably be young people, right? Like, you can't have, like, a rated R slasher that you can say is for everyone, you know what I mean? So Right, Schindler's List, for everyone. <laughs> I'm glad that, that, yes, it is targeted towards young adults, but it definitely is a movie you could watch with the whole family, or, you know, even if you're a family of one, you could probably have a good time watching this, too, so... I think I think that's definitely right. And we already said it based on a series of YA novels, so answers that question. Absolutely. Dead teen or parent? Yes. Dead parent. We just talked about Mr. Holmes, uh, the father of Mycroft, Sherlock, and Anola, as we understand it. I don't, I guess I don't want to speak too soon, but as it was explained to us, he was the father of all three. And then a, a missing mother, but, you know, that that is resolved, so I, it's not the same as as deceased, but, um, but certainly absent parents. <laughs> yeah. And, and even, uh, the Marquez or whatever, his father was, uh, had passed away too. So oh, good point. two teens with missing parents. Yeah. Uh, so that trope continues. <laughs> Most likely to succeed Island, which character won the movie? I'm going to go with the most obvious and say Enola in that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of sort of family lost and found kind of thing going on, right? Obviously the mother is the, what she is searching for, but through that process, I think she, she gains a relationship with at least one of her brothers as well. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, I would say the easy answer, but, but if this were an essay for high school slumber party AP, I think Enola is a, is a great character to say won the movie. What do you think? Couldn't agree more. I mean, it has to be an old home. She solved a case before Sherlock Holmes, you know? <laughs> Not everyone can say that. Nope. So Wooderson Award, and this award is for a character who you would have liked to have seen more of. Edith, 100%. Yeah. And Same. now Same. knowing that it was a real person, I, I would say that even more. But But even before that, just based on... Susan Wacoma's portrayal of the character and, and how and how the character interacted with the story, um, even before knowing how awesome it was in real life, that's how I felt. So yeah, Edith, all the way. Same answer for me, Edith. How could it not be? So again, I, I know before knowing about that, but once I knew about that real character thing, I just want to learn more about this real person. I so. know, amen. Long Duck Tongue Award, and this is for a character whose omission would make the film better. Is there any character you would delete from the film? Honestly, not. Like you said, it is, it's a full two hours. We have kind of multiple mysteries going on. And so unless you took out all the Tewksbury stuff, I I didn't, there wasn't anyone that I thought like, ooh, that's rough. Um, certainly there are characters that I didn't, you know, that were antagonistic to the, you know, the story, but that's, that doesn't warrant omission. Did you have a, a Long Duck Dong award winner here? No, I actually didn't. I thought everyone was well-paced. I thought you were going to take Tewksbury away, though. I was, I was worried. <laughs> no. It's all... I mean, yeah. the Her resourcefulness in, in figuring out the politics at play in order to keep him alive, that, you know, that it all, it all worked. It's also good, in my opinion, that 
she had another teen to play off of. Just cool to see a contemporary her age. Yeah. Ooh, our, our exclusive AP extra credit assignment. If you could recommend a classic teen movie to any character in this film today, who would it be and what film would you have them watch? Okay. I went a little bit rogue. I hope that I still get credit here. <laughs> because the character is living at a different time, I wanted the character to see a contemporary story. And so I thought it would be great for Enola Holmes to watch Moxie. Nice, nice. Obviously, the stakes are very different, but I thought she would like to see kind of where where, where we are or near where we are in terms of like young women and gender and equality and revolution and all those kinds of things. So I thought that would be, yeah. I like I it. I thought you were going to go like too literal with that and be like, okay, oh, you should be really confused. Like, what is this contraption I'm watching? I'm like, oh, oh my God. God. Yes. No, no <laughs> like, we're not doing an Encino man. <laughs> yeah. Extra credit today. Like, I, I don't want to freak her out. So I'm giving her a book. You know? <laughs> your, your, um, I don't know. What do they call cars? I mean, they had a car, an yeah. automobile, but you know, anyway. Yeah. I, I think, I think she should watch Moxie. Did you have an answer for that one? Yeah, yeah. I uh, Similarly, modern film, well, most films are compared to when Enola lives. But uh, I picked Lady Bird. Oh, great. Mother-daughter relationship, you know, yes. uh, women-centered characters. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, I think great she would enjoy idea. Lady Bird. We were on the, we were sort of on the same page with that as well. We're not doing this on purpose, folks. No, we, we've, we've disagreed. We had different grades for Boy State. That's true. <laughs> but when a movie makes you feel good and it's feel good fun, who wants to rain on that parade? You know, <laughs> I'm going to come in and say, oh, I hate Enola Holmes. It was too, <laughs> wasn't period enough. No. Um, the the challenging question every week, the old report card question, of course, on High School Party AP, we grade from an A plus to F scale. Island, you get the red pen and the manila card first, that a good old card stock. It's your turn to grade the film, but of course, we do have a cheat sheet every week. We like to put our ear to the rail track and listen what other people have thought of this film. Rotten Tomatoes grades from the critics, 90%. Audience, 70%. 3.1 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which I thought was a little low. But let's throw that all away. We're going to be like Enola and carve our own path here. Island Addington, what will you grade Enola Holmes? I give Enola Holmes a solid A. Charming, I think I've said multiple times in this recording. The background you gave me around some of the um, historical things that were actually actually happened that um, this film touched on or that the and I'm hoping that the books touched on that more people should know about. I think that's great. And that Millie Bobby Brown was a producer and and in some sense got this made. All of that warms my heart and I enjoyed watching it. And so I give it a solid A. Great grade. I gave it an A minus. That sounds bad because you gave it an A, but that's a really good grade, people. I really enjoyed this film. Really? Just good, clean fun. Nice, fun watch. So And 90% is an A-. So, like, you you fit right in with the critics. 
there you go. I'm usually an audience person, but the critics and me agreeing today. Movie-themed sleeping bag. What if you and I are at this slumber party together and we are bringing our cozy, comfy, Enola Holmes-themed sleeping bags? What do they look like? Aizen, what does your Enola Holmes sleeping bag look like? Okay. On the outside, it would be um, fairly mundane kind of in line with the the period piece kind of thing so maybe some lace i'm thinking about the like the clothes that she wore and i do think we didn't talk about that much but i think the clothes in this in the costuming in this movie was fantastic so something that would fit like that looked like the textiles of the time but on the inside it would have like the little cards with the um flowers and and herbs on them and maybe some of the scrabbly tiles and stuff the the clues the to kind of you know represent the external versus the internal kind of thing Ooh, i like that very very good aesthetic would definitely mm-hmm. fit in with a slumber party i really like the i don't know what this is called just the font i guess or just if you look at the poster Mm-hmm. I like the colors, but they also use this kind of like, I think it's supposed to be the letters that she puts together here. I, I, it's the font. It's the poster font. I gotcha. want the poster font, says Enola Holmes, and just the coloring of the marketing campaign was like bright and fun. And you usually don't get bright, fun colors in the marketing of a Victorian era piece. And I thought that really was good yeah, such a good way to market this film. So that's what mine's going to look like. It's not period, but it's like a modern period thing. Yeah, that's my sleeping bag. I love it. This is always, always my favorite question every week, though. If you and I are at the special AP Blockbuster Island, where only AP members can go in, (laughs) Um, and we know that we are renting the random physical copy of Enola Holmes for our slumber party, but... We see a sign and it says rent two movies each get one free and we both go to these back catalog aisles and we search 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 for movies that will pair well with Enola Holmes. First, Aizen, what two movies would you pair for our Enola Holmes triple feature? Okay. I understand that when I say I'm going all period on this we're not talking about the same period (laughs) i understand that but thinking about intrepid women ahead of their time um forging a path all that kind of stuff i'm going to pair this with the most recent little women nice and the (laughs) uh retelling of um cinderella ever after no nice i like that And when I picked that, I didn't realize that there was also a connection there in terms of young actors, child actors, moving into producing, making decisions, kind of taking control of their their careers. And so it kind of fits on that level as well. But a lot lot of petticoats in this um, this slumber party of ours. (laughs) Really good picks. And I love... Like, I laugh that you had to put the disclaimer in case there's, like, one point Dexter out there who was like, that's not the same period, Iceland. Like, it's just... <laughs> that's great. That's a great pairing. 
And also we've said period like 12 times and I haven't made any jokes. So I would like <laughs> credit from the audience for that as well. Better than my accidental A penis joke. So <laughs> my trifecta is a little I think the most obvious things to do here would be like films like Harriet the Spy and Nancy Drew and things like sure. that. I want it to be a little bit different. And these are the two films I came up with. First one is a cult classic. It is 1985's Clue. Fun Love movie. Clue. Fun movie. And I feel like I would, if I saw Nola Holmes and I saw Clue in the same night, I'd be like, I had a good night, you know? Amen. Mystery there. Intrigue. So that's definitely one of my picks. And my other pick is a rated R film. It has a lot of violence. It is an action comedy. But I, but I don't know. It's a feel-good action comedy. It is, I think, t- yeah, 2016's The Nice Guys, starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Really, really fun film. Shane Black's a director. But Angori Rice plays one of the characters' daughters, and she's helping him along, and she's kind of sleuthing her with her incompetent father and stuff. And, and it reminded me of Enola. Different perspective. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to pick that one because another mystery kind of different tone, but bright colors as well. Uh, yeah. Also, also, I guess my three movies are technically period pieces too. So, Very, very true. I love that. I It started unexpected, but it makes so much sense. That's awesome. I like that slumber party. I think we both had very, very cool picks this time around. Well, I, since you did do your official homework and you watched words on bathroom walls and we are approaching the end of the year first i do have a question for you i kind of know the answer but but the slumbers on ap need to know the answers how do you feel about holiday films (laughs) i don't particularly like holiday films (laughs) oh oh okay well unfortunately your homework is a holiday film so which which one it is a netflix film i believe it came out last year let me just double check it is the princess switch i'm getting up (laughs) is that a teen film i've never seen that one oh i don't know no this one came out in 2019 it is called let it snow it is a netflix movie so we talked to netflix film today go out of your way watch this film and let us know what you think about it Maybe you'll hate it equally <laughs> to all the other winter films you dislike. That, that sounds great. I have several friends who love holiday films and like love the Hallmark movie, you know, holiday movies, all that kind of stuff. And so I will watch it with folks that love the genre and hopefully that will put the put the rosy in my cheeks while editing the episode i figured a good thing to do for those of you out there who maybe didn't listen to that episode of ice slumber party or hadn't seen the movie and want to do homework along with iceland i felt like i would read the netflix summary oh perfect okay let it snow a snowstorm hits a small town on a cold christmas eve affecting the friendships love lives and futures of several high school seniors <sighs> Oh, the stakes are high. Um, <laughs> I wondered if you also, if you wanted to tell people like what number the episode is where you talk about the one you give homework to. 
That is also smart. So let's see. But again, right now, if you don't want it, that's okay. That is a great suggestion, Aislinn. Thanks. Looked it up quickly, and that is High School Slumber Party number 85. So number 85, guys, the before times, December 13th, 2019 is when Um. me and the aforementioned my good friend Kyle Reinfried discussed this film let it snow I love it. that is your homework and anyone else who wants to participate along with us i feel good that we talked to nola holmes can't wait to chat our next ap film Island, anything you want to plug and say contenders or absolutely yes listen to the contenders it's fun and you can find you can find it you can find all of the other guest guest podcasting i've done on cageclub.me i am on twitter at sassy nerd mt but sometimes i forget to check twitter because now i'm on instagram and i'm not doing anything on instagram as previously um (laughs) mentioned however i have um followed as many cute dog related accounts as possible (laughs) so i am um scrolling through for cuteness scrolling for cuteness that's the name of my of my new holiday film i like that i like that (laughs) On Contenders, will you be covering Taylor Swift's All Too Well 10-minute video? Woman-directed thing? <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and make a decision for the team and say, at this time, we have no plans to cover that. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, well, thanks again, Aislinn. Thank you. Enchantment, the whimsy of Enola Holmes. Brian Rodriguez here, one half of the AP hosts. You should know that by now, though, because you listened to this whole episode. Want to thank Iceland as always and apologize. They are apparently drilling something near my apartment, which ruins the whimsy a little. So if you can hear that on the microphone, I apologize. I'm just here to remind you that we have homework to do as the High School Slumber Party experience continues this Friday. It's Spider Month, and we'll be talking with Spider-Manzy, Mike Manzy, once again. This time we'll be addressing the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man film, The Amazing Spider-Man. So that'll be your homework to watch The Amazing Spider-Man. How did you get out there? The fire escape. It's 20 stories. Your doorman's intimidating. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Parker. Not much to tell, really. Peter lives with his aunt and uncle. Did you catch that spider guy yet? No, but we will. This guy wears a mask like an outlaw. I think he's trying to do something maybe the police can't. Can't? (laughs) You know, if you're going to steal cars, don't dress like a car thief. You a cop? You seriously think I'm a cop? In a skin-tight red and blue suit. Who are you? I know it's been rough for you, Peter. (laughs) I forgot all about that thing. It was your dad's. Your father.
father was a very secretive man, Peter. Dr. Connors, I'm Richard Parker's son. Your father and I were gonna change the lives of millions, including mine. Extraordinary. How did you come up with this? There's a rumor of a new species in New York. It can be aggressive if threatened. stop him because I created him. That's not your job. Maybe it is. Thirty-eight of New York's finest versus one guy in a unitard. If you want the truth, Peter, come and get it. I am issuing an arrest warrant for the masked vigilante known as Spider-Man. Oh, I'm in trouble. So join us this Friday to talk The Amazing Spider-Man. We can't wait for Nowhere Home. Thanks, guys. And one more thing, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around once in a while, you could miss it. Later, dudes.